0: Well, in all honesty, I'm going to be a little disappointed when this series is over. I have, have thoroughly enjoyed working through this series with you, and, and so we'll finish it up today. But I want to, I want to tell you a little story. The, the summer after my freshman year of college, I traveled from my school, um, working at different camps, really all over the country, on a team with, with three other students. And our travel schedule put us near St. Louis on a weekend. Um, where we didn't have anything official to do. Sometimes we had responsibilities on the weekend, sometimes we were at a church, um, but other times we had some free time. And so we decided to hang out in in St. Louis on this particular weekend, which also happened to be the weekend of one of my teammates' birthdays. And so it just kind of all worked out. And so we grabbed some really good food, and we were walking around downtown St. Louis, and I don't know if you've been there, it is a pretty cool town. Um, And then we decided to go up in the Gateway Arch, and by we, I mean the other three people on my team, decided that all four of us were going to go up in the arch. And if you haven't seen the Gateway Arch, here's a photo for you, um, just in case you're not sure what that looks like. So that's, that's the Gateway Arch. And when you're driving by, you're like, oh, that's, that's no big deal, because it's just a pretty thing that nobody's actually supposed to go up in. But then again, there are windows, and so obviously there is something to that. And those windows are really far away, because they look really tiny. Until you actually get up to them. I, and here's the thing I've gone through stretches of my life where heights have bothered me a lot, and others where heights bother me a little. I don't think I can say that I've never, you know, or that I've ever been totally fine with being up high, but for the most part, I was freaked out by the prospect of going up in this thing. And so I said, you know what, you guys have fun. I don't mind hanging out down here by myself. There's plenty of green grass all around this thing. You just hang out and watch and wait for them to come back down. And then the girl whose birthday it was said, but it's my birthday. You have to go. Well, how do you say no to somebody on their birthday? I mean, I tried to. I tried to refuse, but I couldn't do that. She really wanted me to go. And so I don't know if you've been there, but you get in these little, I think they called them little trams. I've got a picture of that for you too. You get in these little little pods, if you will, and there are, yeah, there it is. It's tiny, okay? And what you can see in there is that there are five seats. And so you squeeze in there, and you sit knee to knee to knee to knee to knee to knee, to knee. And there's five of you in there. Now, you remember uh, that I said there were four of us on my team, so we split two and two. So not only were we in this tiny, tight little space, knee to knee, knee to knee, knee, but we were there, in there with strangers. And so we get in, and, and you, if you had checked my blood pressure... As we rose, it was getting higher and higher, I guarantee you, because what happens is you can see the design of this thing. As it goes up the arch, it ratchets so that you stay vertical even as you go up. It's super, if you've never done this, I do recommend, I don't even know if you can still go up in it, but it was pretty intense. Then we got to the top, and so I got out and I figured I'm just going to be ready to go right back down, but I'll try to do my best and I walked over to those windows that I showed you earlier, and, I, and, and one photo, there was no photo that could do it justice, but I did snag one um, off of the internet. You just have this crazy view out over the city of St. Louis. And despite my trepidation, despite my outright fear, to be quite honest with you, as I stood in the top of this arch and looked out across the city, I felt about alive as I had ever felt. Being able to look out over a city was pretty cool, and the truth is, when it was time to go back down, I wasn't quite ready to go, and not just because I didn't want to get back in the little tram thing and squeeze my way down. I'm telling you, there are moments in life, often unexpected, where you just feel alive. And that day, as I stood up, and people were walking back and forth and taking pictures, as as I leaned out and looked out through these windows, I felt alive. I hope we've all had at least a few of those moments. Maybe it was when you made the team. I didn't really ever have that experience. I tried it every year for basketball. I never made the team. But maybe it was when you made the team, and that moment where you saw your name on the roster, you felt alive. Maybe it was when you asked her out and she said yes, or when you got tired of waiting for him to ask you out, so you asked him out and he said yes. Maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Maybe it was landing your your dream job or promotion you've been waiting a long time for. Maybe it was when your sports team finally won that elusive championship. It would be, you know, the the birth of my children, my wedding day were great days, but it would be really hard for anything else other than those things to trump feeling alive if the Browns ever won the Super Bowl. Now, there's not much danger in that happening. I'm not going to hold my breath. I'll dare to dream on that one, but but I'd say that in, in one of those situations or any number of other ones, that we've all had moments where we just felt alive. And there's a solid possibility that as you think of those moments, that you would look back on them nostalgically, maybe even longingly, because we like those moments. We like that feeling, and when that feeling's gone, we tend to miss it. I would suggest that there are times we wish we could live in those moments forever because there's something about those moments where you feel alive that is amazing. amazing. Today, as we finish up our series, Finding Your Way Back to God, again, I just just want you to understand how how great I've felt like this series has been. And as we've worked through these five awakenings that can help us find our way back to God, I want us just to remember that these are not just awakenings that happen when we initially come back to God and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. These are awakenings that we continually need in our lives as we seek to grow deeper in our faith and that we'll need in moments where we might wander away from God. We started several weeks ago by talking about awakening to longing, where we realize that we all long for love, for purpose, and for meaning, and that those longings really do come from God and are meant to drive us back to Him. We talked about awakening to regret, where we realize that we've, we've tried from time to time to fulfill those longings that we awaken to with things other than God. We try to do it on our own, and we end up in this cycle of longing and regret. But what the awakening to regret really is about is discovering that we can always start over. We talked about awakening to help, where we admit that we're powerless to fulfill our longings and admit that we need help and that that help is found in the person of Jesus. And then last week, we talked about awakening to love. It's the moment where we realize that God loves us deeply anyway, in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done. And in that awakening, we find our identity as an unconditionally loved and accepted child of God. And so today, we'll finish this series by talking about awakening to life. And we spent some time over the last several weeks talking quite a bit about baptism, about decisions when it comes to following Jesus. And in baptism, we see this movement from death to life. If you've seen a baptism, often you can see you know, that movement from death to life on the face of a person coming up out of the water. Um, if you've been baptized, I hope that that was one of those moments where you truly felt alive, because it should be, but, but that was a moment. Those are, are moments, and we live in more than just moments. In truth, the rest of life often doesn't feel very alive. Instead, a lot of times, the rest of life feels pretty far from alive. Let me ask you this question. And this, is, this comes from, I can't remember who said these words. He asked this question. He said, have you ever felt like you're going through life, but there's no life going through you? And the first time I heard that question, have you ever felt like you're going through life, but there's no life going through you? I'm like, wow, that's an eloquent way of putting how I feel sometimes. I think we all probably get to that point in different situations. And so today we want to ask and try to answer this question. How do we continually Awaken to life. How do we get to the point where we wouldn't say that? As we move through this series, we've challenged you each and every week to pray a specific prayer for at least 30 days. And I hope you've joined us in that. In fact, we've produced cards that you found in your bulletin today um, that have all five of these prayers. And if you need another card, um, or if you'd like more cards, there are more at the link in the back of the sanctuary. And honestly, when we started this whole conversation about the prayers, it was based on this guy, Pascal, who who was a a very, very smart uh, mathematician. And he made this bet with his intellectual friends where he said, you guys need to make a bet with God. I'm going to challenge you to pray, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me for at least 30 days and see if it doesn't make a difference. These guys were skeptics. These guys had no interest in God. And Pascal said, listen, I really think you need to understand that you can be a scientist, you can be an intellectual and still experience God, still have a relationship with God, still believe in God, and so he challenged them to this. And so we've been adding to those prayers each week, but, but here, here would be an additional challenge I'd want to make to you. First of all, you, you should pray through these. I'd love to, to know that you do that. I've been praying through them myself. But if you find yourself in a situation where you have a friend that doesn't know Christ, that, that, that doesn't have a relationship with God, and you saw an opportunity to give them these five prayers, That little card could be a great tool for you to say, listen, I know you don't believe. I know you don't want to believe. I know you don't care. But but would you try this for me? Would you pray these prayers and just see if it doesn't make a difference? And so I I would encourage you to take as many of those cards honestly as you want. We've had several people throughout the morning take quite a few. There are plenty. And we'll keep them there for the next several weeks. So if you feel like you'd like some extras, I uh, I would love to have you take them. But here's today's prayer, the last of the five, and this one's on the card as well. God, if you are real... Make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the confidence that I can live a brand new life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said these words, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Other translations of scripture use terms there like a rich and satisfying life or abundant life. Life. And the truth is, when we think of rich or full or satisfying or abundant life, we probably think about more and more and more. More money in the bank account, more satisfying relationships, more beach vacations, or more mountain vacations if you're one of those people that doesn't do the beach. We as a culture love the idea of more. You walk through the grocery store, you see bags of, you know, in boxes proclaiming 25% more. Inside, if you check your mailbox tomorrow, you'll probably have at least one offer that says, here's a credit card with more cash back. And we do this thing where we connect the fullness of our life with more in our lives, and that's not what Jesus was saying here. See, the original language of the New Testament has two words for life. One is the word bios. Okay, bios. It's the root word for biology. You probably, probably could see that just from looking at it. And it, it's kind of the word for natural life. It can also refer to chronological life. And so I didn't do this research myself, but, but we did find this research. Did you know that the average Bios life includes 250,000 hours of sleep, unless you're a new mom, in which case it's not nearly that much, 76,000 meals, which actually doesn't seem like that many meals, and 200,000 trips to the bathroom. That's a lot, right? But that's, that's the average life. Much of it can feel like going through life, but there's no life going through you. If you break down life to these kinds of things, and and we could add some other things to this. You know, I wonder how many hours we spend driving. I wonder how many hours we spend, you know, watching TV on the average person. I wonder how many hours over our entire life, the, the walk from our parking spot at work to our office, how much time that really takes. I think if we began to break that down it would probably be depressing. And that's bios life. That's part of it. It it is just the the, the natural part of life. It's life as it is. But there is another word here. and The word is zoe. We're going to say it, zoe, at least. And zoe includes bios life, but goes way beyond it. Bios is about quantity and more of the same. Zoe is about quality of life. Honestly, a quality of life that can only come from knowing God. Ultimately, a zoe life refers to eternal life, the kind of life we were made for that will never end. And at the same time, zoe life is about the quality of life that God has for you and I right now. And when Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, the word that he uses there that we translate down to life is absolutely not bios. It's zoe. He's talking about a quality of life with God that changes your past and your present and your future. He's not talking about more of the same life. He's not talking about more life. He's talking about new life. And when we find our way back to God, that's the kind of life we discover. Now, we spent this entire series in the story of the prodigal son found in the book of Luke. And I didn't know this, but if you look at the original language, you look at the Greek in verses 11 and 12, you find something pretty interesting in Luke chapter 15. This is what it says. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. Now, now as we've gone through all five weeks, it can actually be tough for us to remember. This is not actually something that happened. This is a story. This is a parable that Jesus told. We've gotten so invested in the characters because there's so much to learn from this, but it's a story. This is a man had two sons. Then in verse 12, it says, the younger son told his father, I want a share of my estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. The word wealth in that verse sometimes is translated property. It's actually the word bios, it's that other word for life. If you go back to the Greek, it literally says so his father agreed to divide his life between his sons. It's almost as if the Father is saying, I'll, I'll let you have all the bios life you want. All of the bios life can offer. It's all yours. But someday you'll realize that's probably not enough. You see, God doesn't want us to settle for bios life when He created us for Zoe life. Life to the fullest. And so, you can say awakening to love was easy, awakening to longing, those are all things that we can understand, but, but there are a lot of different things that awakening to life could really mean. But there are really three experiences that I think we can look at a little deeper that God invites us to that can help us live a Zoe life. The first one is to celebrate. You know, it's a party at the lost and found, if you will. Right before Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, he told two other stories where someone lost something of great value. There's obviously a theme in this stretch with Jesus' teaching. Well, first, we touched on earlier in the series where a man who had a hundred sheep loses one of them, and he goes looking for it. And and when he finds it, we read this in verse 6 of chapter 15. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Now, now here's what I've always thought about these stories. I get what Jesus was trying to teach. But if I threw a party every time I lost something and found it again, I'd be having daily parties. And yet he says, you know, hey, I lost my sheep, so we're going to have a party. Sheep, I get it, that's important. In 15 verse 9, you get another story about a woman who loses a valuable coin. Okay, that, that's a value. And she looks for it and she finds it. And we read this in verse 9. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And then the story of the prodigal son again has a similar ending. And as the son comes home, the father runs out to welcome him. We read this Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. So the party began. When what was lost is found, you tell somebody, right? People find out because there's going to be a party and everybody wants to be there. And the truth is, if you found your way back to God, you absolutely have a reason to celebrate because you were lost and now you're found. You've been given a chance to to make peace with your past, to put your past behind you, to have a purpose for living, to have a hope for a future, not just in this life but beyond. All of that is something worth celebrating. If we want to embrace this kind of new life, we need to celebrate what God has done in our lives and what He's continuing to do in our lives. We need to spend time in celebration and in thanks for Him for everything that he does with us. Some of that just means we need to continue to spend time with God. In Psalm 149, verse 4, it says this, For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Sometimes I think we struggle to remember that God loves us and likes us and cares for us. He delights in us. Sometimes we're just afraid he's mad at us, but the truth is, God wants us to seek Him out. He wants us to spend time with Him. We need to spend time when God is working in our lives, and the truth is He's always working in our lives. We need to spend time celebrating what He's doing in and through us. And when we do that, when we take the time to thank Him and to celebrate what He's doing in our lives, it feeds into that new life, that Zoe life. Sometimes God does amazing things and we don't say a word. Sometimes God is at work and we don't even realize it. We need to take the time to say, God, thank you for being active in my life. The second thing we need to do is connect. We need to discover that we're better together. Somewhere along the line, a team of researchers from Harvard Medical School discovered that the two most powerful, meaningful experiences in life are achieving and connecting. Reaching a goal, accomplishing something worthwhile, it is one of the the greatest most powerful experiences in life but relating to someone in a significant way is right there with it and i'm not sure that i would have thought that according to edward hallowell a member of that team that did that study our society is becoming more and more obsessed with achievement while at the same time becoming increasingly bankrupt when it comes to connecting achieving isn't necessarily bad But research shows that achievement is no substitute for connection. People who achieve big but fail at connecting often end up kind of hard people to be around, unhappy, even with their achievements. On the other hand, people who prioritize relationships, even if their achievements are modest or non-existent, tend to report life being pretty fulfilling. I think that's true. I think we all think that achievement, that success, that some, some matter of notoriety will fix everything, if there are no relationships to back that up, if there's nobody to celebrate that achievement with, it's, it's hollow. I, I think it's the same with money. We, we oftentimes think, if I just had a little more money, everything would be okay. The truth is, if, if, if money alone could satisfy us, I think we'd know that by now, that there's more than that. None of that research should surprise us at all because God designed us for connecting. He designed us for relationships. And I don't think we can experience the Zoe life without it. When we connect with other people who have found their way back to God, what I believe we'll discover is that we can, we can support one another on a higher level and accomplish more for God together than we ever could alone. You See, when we find our way back to God, When we start a new life with God, this Zoe life, we need the encouragement and the accountability of others to grow along the journey. And while coming together in this place is really important every week, it's not always great for connecting. That's why we put a lot of stock in our life groups and other connection opportunities. It's why we do projects like the painting we did a couple weeks ago. When we intentionally and consistently stay connected to other people, we are more likely to experience this new life, this Zoe life that God intended for us. So we need to celebrate, we need to connect, and then we also need to contribute. God has a plan for the world. It's in motion, it's been in motion since He created it. But you and I are invited to be a part of that plan where we are now. God wants everyone to know His love for them. He wants everyone to be able to experience this new life we're talking about. And I believe that God wants everyone to find their way back to Him. And you and I have an important part to play in that. We are called to, to willingly risk loving others because we know that God risked everything loving us. We have opportunities every day to express love to people. The same love God showed us and the same love He has for them. We have opportunities every day. And the truth is, a lot of us don't take those opportunities. But that's our role. That's our opportunity to be a part of God's story. It's interesting to think about our story uh, that we've spent so much time in these five weeks studying there in the book of Luke and and to wonder how the son would have gone on living from that day forward. The story of the younger son pretty much ends at the party. We find out that he comes home and they throw a party. But I imagine he would have never looked at a hungry person the same way after what he's experienced. I, I can't imagine that he would judge someone who shared a story of failure ever again, because he would look at his own life and he'd say, well, I've I've certainly been there. I can't imagine that he would have ever taken his father's wealth for granted. When we finally realize this new life that God has for us, we see the possibilities for our future completely differently, and we see the path that we've taken to get there differently as well. Our priorities change and our life becomes about something more something that's better and bigger and more meaningful than ever before. And you get to this point where you say, it's no longer my plan for me. It's God's plan for me. It's God's plan for my life. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and He will show you which path to take. And the truth is, a lot of us for so long have looked to fulfill our longings on our own path. We've tried to make our own way. We've tried to believe that we had everything under control, that we could handle anything that came our way, and that we had all the answers we needed. And the truth is, the best thing we could do is admit admit that our understanding is extremely limited and that our path choice is often pretty sketchy. And instead say, God, I trust you. Where would you have me go. I want to close this message in this series by sharing with you a story about a guy who gets this. I've never had the pleasure of meeting this guy, but I've heard about him. His name is Lane. Lane was a type A driven personality who started work every day at 5 a.m. and usually didn't quit until late evening. He took a company as a leader of this company from a value of $100 million to $9 billion, largely because he was obsessive about his work. He developed a a terminal illness and it changed everything. It brought a workaholic to a complete stop and when Lane paused long enough to reflect on his life and success, he realized that there was something missing. Lane had gone to church as a kid and he did believe in God, but he realized that in his pursuit of success, and, and that's a pretty high level of success, that God had gradually become a faint and forgotten memory but now lane was sick and death was certain this illness would kill him and until then it would be a terrible pain every single day of his life once hospice had been called in lane asked his pastor to come and talk with him about the plans for his funeral these are these are not anywhere near the easiest conversations to have with somebody as a pastor i can tell you that this pastor went and talked to them. They talked about what would be said and who would said it. They talked about what songs would be sung. But here's what Lane said to his pastor, and I, I can't imagine saying words like this. He said this. He said, The best thing that ever happened to me was getting sick. From the time I got sick, it refocused me. It caused me to find my way back to God and feel so close to God. I would give up everything for what I have now. As of the recording of Lane's words that, that I'm going to share with you in a moment on a video, those notes of his funeral were still unused. It had been about 10 years since the meeting at the point that they, they did this, this video, but Lane was still alive, living in severe pain, not cured. But Lane lives a new life. Instead of a workaholic creating his own kingdom as he had been, he is a messenger sharing his story and helping others find their way back to God. And I know you and I, we don't know Lane, but the little we know should make hearing from him even more impactful. I, I cannot imagine living every single day of my life in the amount of pain he has and still be able to say what he says here. To have happen what he had happened. To go from essentially being on top of the world in charge of a $9 billion business. And when all of that ability to be a part of that goes away, and it's replaced with pain, I think a lot of us would say, this is God's fault. Instead, through that trial, Lane began to find his way back to God. and He got something I think we all need to understand and all need to get, is that when we do find our way back to God, if we truly find our way back to God, It should be the natural next step for us to say, who else do I know that needs to find their way back to God? Because there is nothing like helping someone else find their way back to God. And there is nothing that will confirm your new life, your Zoe life, more than helping others find that same life. If you want to truly feel alive, help someone else find their way back to God. Bring someone home. Help them find Life to the fullest. I want to leave you with this. I hope and pray that this series has helped you wherever you are in your spiritual journey. I hope you're taking steps today and ongoing to continue to find your way back to God. It's not a one-time thing, but an ongoing process, yet it's one we don't have to do alone, and it's one that is beyond worthwhile. And I hope as we continue to find our way back to God, we can bring as many people as possible along on that journey with us. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for the opportunity that we've had to walk through this series together. God, I pray that you have moved in our hearts, that that wherever we are in our journey with you, that we've taken a step towards you. And God, if there are people in our lives, and I know that there are, who, who need to have their eyes open, who need to find their way back to God. For the first time or again, I pray that we could speak truth into their lives and help them get on that path. Not because we've got it all figured out. Not even because we've made it all the way back. Because we know that that new life that you offer is worth whatever it takes. God, I thank you for the word. For these stories that Jesus told in the the simple fact that they have survived these generations so that we can still look at them and study and learn from words that Jesus spoke. helps to continue to desire to learn in that way. God, continue to challenge us as we walk through our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.